Hi, everybody. It's Karen. Welcome to Walla Moms, where we say everything you can't say in Portland. Oregon politics are shaping up to be really interesting. Don't forget to vote for Renee Gonzalez. He's running against Joanne Hardesty for Portland City Commissioner. He's committed to a cleaner and safer Portland. He's a listener of the podcast, a fan of the podcast, and he is a very successful lawyer turned entrepreneur uh, who is a Hispanic man. His wife is Hispanic. He has three children and he is committed to staying in Portland and making it better. Please also consider voting for Betsy Johnson for governor. She is pulling off an incredible fundraising effort. She has left the Democratic Party. She wants more unity and less division in Oregon. Um, And she has raised more money than any gubernatorial candidate so far, including Nick Kristoff, who's the New York Times columnist. She is generating a lot of excitement, I think in part because she is an independent and she's tired of partisan bickering and she feels in general politically homeless. And I think she probably senses that a lot of people in Oregon feel the same way. And judging by her fundraising efforts, they do. She is fabulous. She's one of the few people who has voted against this idea that homeless people should be able to camp just wherever they want. And she is for police funding. She is for safer streets. She wants a decrease in crime. And she's a progressive. She has been a Democrat her entire life until recently. And she wants a more reasonable narrative in Portland and in Oregon as a whole. And she might be the first gubernatorial candidate, the first governor, if she's elected, who will address the unrest in Portland. It is so difficult when we have these riots, which we have on a constant basis, had some more after the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. It's so difficult when we have these governors who just stand silently while our biggest city is destroyed and burned. And she is committed to not doing that. She is for law and order, and she is also for progressive policies. And she's so interesting, Betsy Johnson, is because she's a progressive, but she's a pragmatist. And this is from Willamette Week, October 14th, 2014. So this was years ago. It's called a Betsy Proof Margin. And it's talking about some of the bills that the Democrats are trying to pass that she would vote against because she didn't care about any kind of acrimony as long as she stood up for her principles even if that meant pissing off her Democratic colleagues. And what she said, according to this article, is, I try to be the embodiment of the independent-minded, politically courageous person who tries to create the best policy. The position I've been put in is almost serendipitous. I just resist the lockstep orthodoxy. She has an aviation company. Um, Her dad was a Republican from Deschutes County. He served in the legislature, and he was the personification of bipartisanship that defined state politics in that era and sort of 
served as a model for her. She's blunt and irreverent, according to this article, which I absolutely love. Betsy Johnson is actually the one who helped secure the money to make the Wapato jail into a homeless shelter, to make that a reality. Remember when Jordan Schnitzer wanted to turn that into a homeless shelter and everybody went nuts and said, absolutely not. She got that done. She's also for criminal justice reform. If you look at the website, votesmart.org, just the facts.votesmart.org, it can detail, you can search based on issue category, what a particular candidate, how they voted on those issues. And she's pro-criminal justice reform. She has voted to prohibit the use of chokeholds by law enforcement officers. She has voted to establish the presence of a noose as a hate crime. She has voted to establish a joint committee on transparent policing and use of force. She has voted to prohibit peace officers from using force by applying pressure on the throat or the neck of a suspect. She has voted to establish an online database of suspended police officers. She voted to prohibit discriminatory 911 calls. And VoteSmart is reliable. In fact, if you go to mediabiasfactcheck.com, VoteSmart is rated as least biased. So you can rely on that. And it's a great database if you want to check out candidates. Not far behind Betsy with fundraising from people like the Angelina Jolie Foundation and other celebrity supporters is Nick Kristoff. I think he has about uh, half of what Betsy has. She has $2 million. It looks like he has about $1 million. He's a writer for the New York Times and was really one of my personal heroes. He made a point to shine a light on undercovered world tragedies, and he would provide ideas and um, about reforms and how to help with those trage- tragedies, fundraising campaigns, draw attention to things like that so that leaders could help try to fix it and work together. He's super concerned about poverty and addiction. He has more recently done some really good coverage of Oregon's crisis of addiction and acknowledges, I think correctly, that part of the reason crime in Portland has spiraled so out of control, I say part of the reason, because I think part of it is laissez-faire attitude, the DA Mike Schmidt's attitudes about criminal offenders and decriminalization and and defunding the police, neutering the police, no support for the police, none of that helps. But I think he rightfully talks about how our spiraling crime is due to addiction, which goes hand in hand with crime. My problem with him is he did an op-ed in the heat of the George Floyd riots when I was still commuting to work every single day downtown and just witnessing the absolute destruction, looking at the news crew footage every single night for months, watching my city be destroyed. And 
his, the title of his article was even something like, Where are Trump's Anarchists? And he essentially made the argument that Portland was doing great. And sure, there were rioters here and there, but no problemo. And that was the end of my reading of his column and the end of my hero worship of him. So I will not be voting for him unless I absolutely have to. I'm going to throw my support behind Betsy Johnson, and I urge all of you to do the same. As you know, we've had some more riots. The Kyle Rittenhouse verdict was delivered. You know, what's so crazy about this is allegedly all these people are rioting for racial justice. Now, I know that the killings occurred at a BLM-style protest in Wisconsin, but I don't know if you guys feel like what actually happened at the trial, like the coverage that you read after the trial, or if you watched any of the trial, did not square with what you believe the facts to be based on the news media you were consuming. Apparently, I am still consuming too much garbage left-wing talking point news media because I came into watching that trial as somebody who believed that Kyle Rittenhouse killed, uh, well, first of all, that he was a racist. Um, Second, that he killed black people, two black people and injured a third black person. Third, I thought that he had, I know know he had a semi-automatic. I thought it was illegally acquired somehow because I knew he was 17. I thought that he drove across, people kept saying he drove across state lines, he drove across state lines. I thought he drove across state lines with the gun because that's what was implied. Um, It was implied in the media and and by a lot of congressional representatives who who were Democrats, of course, that he knew that Black Lives Matter protests were going on and that he was there to like F up some Black Lives Matter protesters because he was such a white supremacist. Um, I assume that the people he killed were peaceful protesters. And the person he was in, he injured was wholly innocent and was just there to protest injustices by the police. And in fact, there was a Ayanna Presley did a tweet August 27th, 2020, and this really squares with what I assumed. A 17-year-old white supremacist, domestic terrorist, drove across state lines armed with an AR-15. Now, again, this is one of our congresswomen. He shot and killed two people who had assembled to affirm the value, dignity, and worth of black lives. Fix your damn headlines, she says. Well, I don't know if any of you watched the trial, but I watched as much as I could in between work and as much as what was shown on television. And and then I followed the coverage of it from people that I trust to give me the straight story, like Barry Weiss, who is a uh, used to be a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. That was too conservative for her. She left for the New York Times. She happens to be a lesbian and Jewish, and the New York Times um, was fine with a lesbian, not so fine with the Jewish part. She's, she's a self-proclaimed Zionist, and there was a fair amount of what she perceived to be anti-Jewish, pro-Palestinian sentiment 
at the New York Times and she felt pushed out and she left and she did a scathing resignation letter. If you ever want to take a look at it, it's absolutely incredible. Just look, Google Barry White, W-E-I-S-S, Barry Weiss's resignation letter to the New York Times. And so now she has a Substack, and she's really good at just, she also has a podcast called Honestly. She's very good at breaking down the facts of what actually happened. And she did that with Jesse, a guy named Jesse Single, who's also pretty good about breaking down the truth um, on her podcast called Honestly. And it absolutely blew my mind to learn that uh, between the trial and the media that I started consuming to kind of break down for me what I, I mean, I just felt discombobulated. I felt like I, I really understood what was going on with this case from the media I was consuming previously. And then I started watching the trial and realized none of my preconceptions were true. Um, and so then I, I really did start consuming media that I knew was going to help me break it down. And as we all know now, um, Kyle Rittenhouse was not connected to any white supremacist groups. Believe me, if he had been, that would have been exhibit one at the trial. He had a job in Kenosha. So this idea that he was crossing state lines to start shit is so crazy um, because... And I think it was the uh, prosecutor that, unfortunately, for the prosecutor, don't, you know, number one rule for trial lawyers is don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. And the prosecutor, to my memory, asked him something like, and you were there to, you know, the prosecutor, prosecutor obviously didn't use these words, but something like, you were there to start shit, weren't you? And he said, no, I wasn't. Um, and he, he just starts explaining, like, I don't know. I'm surprised the defense lawyer didn't elicit any of this, but he just starts explaining his ties to Kenosha. He had a job there. His family lived there. His dad, his grandma, his aunt, his uncle, his cousins. The morning of the shootings, he went downtown with his sister and his friends to see the damage done by rioting. He cleaned graffiti off a local high school. It was fascinating to listen to. He also, it was elicited during the trial, did not go to Kenosha with the gun. He didn't cross state lines with a gun. He traveled there for his job the night before the shootings and was staying at a, friend, at a friend's house. And it was elicited through testimony at this trial that the gun was purchased for him by a friend stored at the home of the friend's stepfather in Kenosha. Um, I'm also hearing and seeing a lot of questions about why he wasn't arrested for being 17 with his gun. You know, interestingly, under Wisconsin law, 17-year-olds are prohibited from carrying rifles only if they're short-barreled. So his weapon was not short-barreled, and that's why during closing arguments, that charge was dropped. If you take a look at video evidence, there is good evidence all over YouTube that is not doctored. Um, and some of the video evidence was shown at the trial. It, unless there's evidence I haven't seen, there's no, there was absolutely no clear indication that, that Rittenhouse sought to kill anybody or that there was any premeditation. In fact, the video evidence shows he was, he was helping protesters. He was acting like a medic, offering medical assistance to them. Um, he had a fire extinguisher trying to put out fires. 
and um, that, yes, he killed a couple of people, Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber, and he severely wounded a third person. Sounds like he blew that guy's arm away, kind of shattered it. But it was fascinating because the guy he wounded, the one living person that testified at the trial, uh, the one victim, the one survivor who lived, Gage Grosskreutz, he himself absolutely buried the prosecution, the victim. He devastated the prosecution because he admitted that Rittenhouse didn't fire at him first. He admitted that it wasn't until he pointed his gun at Rittenhouse, advanced on Rittenhouse with his gun, was pointing his gun at Rittenhouse that Rittenhouse fired at him. I mean, that was mind-blowing. I, that was never, ever revealed in any of the media coverage prior to this trial. And then also interestingly is in Portland, they were doing this, all the protesters were laying down on the street in front of PGE Park. And obviously it's a travesty whenever people are killed. It's horrific. It's disgusting. Do I think Rittenhouse should have been walking around with a semi-automatic? Absolutely not. Do I think he should have been there at all? Absolutely not. Um, you know, do I, do I think it's a tragedy that he killed these people? Of course I do. But what's fascinating is there were all these people in Portland laying down in front of PGE Park and there was a, you know, people attending the soccer game were sort of having to step over and maneuver around them. And you can see it on video and there's news coverage where there's, they're doing like a say his name and they're saying the names of the victims of the people who were killed. As if they're, as if these people were civil rights heroes or something. But I, I'm sure many of you have heard by now, Rosenbaum, one of the guys that Rittenhouse killed, had not only spent years in prison because he was a convicted sex offender, the morning he was killed, and there's good undoctored footage of this, of him acting erratically, acting insane, the morning he was killed, Rosenbaum was released from a Milwaukee hospital and he had been admitted there after a suicide attempt. And there was testimony from a witness at the trial um, that Rosenbaum threatened this witness and Rittenhouse saying, um, I'm going to effing kill you. Um, so there was certainly provocation by Rosenbaum. And there was an outright threat. Um, the witness himself admitted that there was the, the surviving victim admitted that there was an outright he threatened Rittenhouse that he pointed his gun at Rittenhouse and that is when he was shot and that was I mean I couldn't believe that testimony I kept rewinding it and listening to it again on YouTube nonetheless Congresswoman Cori Bush on Monday tweeted uh, November 15th 2021 tweeted when we marched in Ferguson white supremacists would hide behind a hill near where Michael Brown Jr. was murdered and shoot at us. They never faced consequences. If Rittenhouse gets acquitted, it tells them that even seven years later, they still can get away with it. The way she is framing this is so bizarre. 
first of all, until the day she tweeted that, I never heard of any such thing happening. And I think if such thing had happened, it would have been front and center. Um, the idea that, that this was covered up until now um, is strange to me. It's This is a statement from a sitting member of Congress, and that makes it particularly bizarre. But to compare what Kyle Rittenhouse did, where he shot somebody who was threatening to kill him, where he shot somebody who had put a gun, pointed a gun at him, that, that just doesn't sound analogous to me to a criminal who is shooting at peaceful protesters and a congresswoman. I, I, I don't see any analogous facts. And he wasn't a white supremacist. Believe me, if he was a white supremacist as a trial lawyer, just like in the George Floyd case, again, no, no evidence of white supremacy. Now, that was murder. And Trump, you know, even fucking Trump said it was murder. I mean, the, that, is, that case is shut and closed. That was murder. The jury has spoken. And I think almost everybody in America can agree that that was murder. But was it racially motivated? I think if it was racially motivated, that would have been exhibit one in the Derek Chauvin trial. Some meme, an email, a tweet, a text, a Fer Mark Furman type voice recording, and there was not a scintilla of that in that trial. Similarly, there wasn't any evidence that Rittenhouse was a white supremacist in this trial. And had he, he's a 17 year old, and 17 year olds are all morons. He's clearly a moron. He's walking around with a, with a, semi-automatic weapon at a BLM protest where he knows that riots are going to break out and it's going to be violent. I mean, he's a complete idiot. Um, and if you you would think that that kind of an idiot would have, um, especially if he was a white supremacist, would have troves of horrific memes and tweets and text messages and emails and and recordings of himself and potentially even maybe some YouTube videos, some video on his phone. There wasn't a drop of that. And, you know, he never should have been there. Had he not been there, these people would not have been killed and this tragedy could have been avoided. On the other hand, as we've seen, um, and, and we've as we've seen in footage from the riots where Rittenhouse did kill these people, the state had basically abdicated its responsibility to shut this shit down and keep people safe. I mean, this is what happens when we abdicate control to the criminals and we don't maintain law and order. This is what happens in Portland. This is what happens when Mayor Wheeler tells everybody, hey, we know that Antifa and Proud Boys are going to show up and they're going to be shooting at each other and trying to kill each other, but we're just going to tell our police to stand down. We're not getting involved in any of this. We've all seen footage from across the country in 2020, including here in Portland, where police sat in their vehicles because they were told to and watched looters uh, raid department stores, raid Louis, you know, Louis Vuitton seems to be a favorite. They love to destroy Starbucks. They're doing that constantly here still. I mean, we've all seen that footage. This is allowed to go on. 
It's we 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 have allowed this to occur. And so it does not surprise me, much like Seattle, where the police voluntarily gave up their precinct and Mayor Jenny Durkin declared the summer of love and somebody finally had to be killed before that was shut down. How many killings will it take before we can retake our cities from these rioters, before we can shut this down? Before, I mean, what do we need? Do we need the feds to come in? Do we need what SWAT teams, a National Guard, um, to shut shut all this down? What will it take to stop all of this criminal activity so that we can prevent further murders and further deaths? It doesn't help when we're told repeatedly over and over again, fiery but mostly peaceful protests. That was literally a headline from CNN in 2020. It doesn't help when we're told. Um, these are protests, they're not riots. Uh, when we're told things like Kyle Rittenhouse was a white supremacist and he sabotaged peaceful BLM protesters, that's not what happened at all. When you can see what happened with your own eyes and when you're listening to this testimony being elicited in court, these tweets from people, sitting Congress people like Cori Bush, it's almost my, like Mad Libs. I mean, you can fit... In any Democrat, especially hard left narrative, after there's a riot or a tragedy happens at one of these absolutely out of control situations, which may start as a peaceful protest but turns into a lawless riot, you can script it. I mean, it's these people were marching for justice. This is a protest. This is their for, this is their First Amendment right to free speech. You're trying to quash us. You're trying to silence us. Um, the police are oppressors. The police are trying to shut us down. It really makes me question where the Democratic Party goes from here and how or if it will be able to separate itself from people like Cori Bush. And I think that's why Betsy Johnson is running as an independent, because she needs to separate herself from the Tina Kotex and the Kate Browns and the Maxine Dexters and the histrionic tweeters, um, the Ted, Ted Wheelers, all these people who were tweeting after the Rittenhouse verdict about how tragic the verdict was. And that was also absolutely shocking to me how many Democratic representatives, uh, Valderrama, House District 47, uh, tweeted, white supremacist vigilante, this is in Oregon, white supremacist vigilante is acquitted of murder by a racist criminal justice system. No justice, no peace, she says, in all caps, with firework emojis next to it. This is Drea Valderrama. She is a sitting Oregon congressperson. She's practically inciting, in my opinion, not legal opinion, but just in my personal opinion, she's practically inciting these riots. No justice, no peace. The minute I saw that come across the Twitter feed, and obviously my break from Twitter was a total and complete lie because I was pretty much glued to it after this Rittenhouse verdict, but the minute I saw that across come across the feed, I mean, I knew there were going to be riots anyway. I saw that. It was just game over. 
Deb Patterson, she is an Oregon State Senator. She tweeted, the outcome of the Rittenhouse trial is tragically not unprecedented, but no less outrageous and unjust. I join the vast majority of America's residents who will be calling for an appeal. And my thoughts are with those who lost loved ones in this attack. Now, unfortunately, prosecutors cannot appeal a not guilty verdict. That would be, I don't do criminal law, but my understanding is that would be unconstitutional double jeopardy. This is scary. This is an Oregon state senator who does not understand the concept of double jeopardy. What also scares me is Oregon loves criminals. They're absolutely obsessed with criminals and they're obsessed with reform, protecting criminals, making sure they have what they want, making sure they have what they need. They don't want to arrest anybody. Um, Mike Schmidt thinks that the prison system is racist. He thinks um, criminal law generally is, is um, my understanding is that he, he thinks that that's all a racist system because just with the inherent fact that they're the, um, pop, by population per capita, there are more black people in prison and in jails than, than per capita white people. Um, now, that's true. Does that mean that it's racist? I, I don't think it does. I don't think that proves that the system's racist. I, I, I think it's much more complicated than that. But the point is, in this, particularly in Portland, we love criminals. <laughs> they do what they want, and we, we all pay for it. Highest income tax in the country. We pay for this to go on. So this idea that these people, a criminal, an alleged criminal, walks free, Kyle Rittenhouse walks free, and these Oregon politicians are losing their shit is hilarious to me. If, if Kyle Rittenhouse had a drop of non-white blood in him, I think this would be a whole different story. In fact, I bet if Kyle Rittenhouse was black and killed another black person, we never would have even really heard about this. It wouldn't have been a thing. But because without any evidence, absolutely zero evidence about racism surfaced in the trial, but because without any evidence, we have made this into a racial crime, a alleged crime, because he's free. The jury has said he, it's not a crime. He can't be tried again. It's over. He is an innocent man by the by the law. He's an innocent man. And we have these Oregon lawmakers, including the governor, <laughs> tweeting about how tragic this was. And the system worked. And, and they're not tweeting about how tragic the deaths or the maiming of the survivor was. Of course, that's all tragic, no matter how degenerate those people were. But they're tweeting about how tragic the verdict is. Kate Brown tweeted, our own governor, some people may be hurting hearing this verdict today. Please take care of each other in this difficult moment. We have a lot of work to do as a country in building a more just and equitable future. There's that word equitable. She's making this about race. It's a white guy who shot three white guys. Ted Wheeler, I join with many Portlanders and Oregonians in feeling profoundly disappointed on the Rittenhouse trial verdict. Our work to reform and improve the criminal justice system must continue. 
Based on what? I am curious to understand why Ted Wheeler thinks there was an unfair trial. Kate Brown is a lawyer. Ted Wheeler is, I, I don't know if he ever practiced law. I don't think he has a license anymore. But Ted Wheeler was at least trained as a lawyer. He went to every Ivy League school you can go to, including a law school. I, they're trained to be able to de tell us what during this trial was wrong. What happened here? Where is the miscarriage of justice? Um, this is on brand. Portland Commissioner Joanne Hardesty tweeted, we have an injustice system in America. Legislature's Black, Indigenous, and People of Color Caucus said the verdict was disappointing and not surprising. We know that failures in our justice system are deeply entrenched, the caucus said in a statement. The U.S. Department of Justice must investigate the circumstances surrounding this deeply troubling situation in Kenosha. It's rippling impacts across the country. No one is elaborating on what was unjust about this verdict. Why was this verdict disappointing and why are the Black, Indigenous, and People of Color Caucus commenting on this, except for the fact that the shootings happened during a BLM protest? I mean, to the extent it involves people of color, it disrupted what could have possibly been a peaceful protest. That, that's the only impact. The killing of these white people themselves, including one... Um, the Rosenbaum, the one who was released from the mental institution, was using, he was a white man using the N-word. So I'm going to have to amend my previous statement. There was evidence of racism at this trial, and the evidence of racism was that Rosenbaum was yelling the N-word. Rosenbaum is one of the people that Redden House killed, but that's it. So if we're going to cry about are, are we really going to cry about somebody who was using the, the N-word? I mean, yes, you know, as, as a moral, global um, maxim, we should cry for, for any human life that dies. I, I understand that morality. But the idea that it was racist for Rittenhouse to shoot a white man who was using the N-word boggles my mind. And in fact, things got so bad in Portland during our riot that uh, this no justice, no peace garbage that our own representatives are, I would say, in my personal opinion, are inciting, are fomenting, are encouraging this kind of lawless behavior to, um, I mean, no justice, no peace, that hits different. That hits different. That's not, we should protest this. And knowing the city that you're in, where every single time um, it involves groups like Antifa, Black Bloc, those kind of groups, every single time there's a protest, it breaks out in a riot. And knowing that, if you're a leader in the state of Oregon and you're saying things like no justice, no peace, you, are, you, you need to understand the responsibility that you have to not only stop it and change your rhetoric, but every single one of these leaders, 
especially Ted Wheeler, especially the mayor, knowing what goes on here constantly with these riots and the violence and the destruction and the garbage. I mean, driving past the Hatfield Courthouse, the federal courthouse, there were windows blown out that, that nobody could touch. It was super high up. I don't know what floor they were on, and I don't know how they got their munitions up there, but there were windows blown out. I mean, the kind of destruction that we're talking about for a verdict involving three white people is beyond the pale. And for our representatives to knowing what goes down here, knowing that somebody was killed in Portland during our protests, to say things like no justice, no peace, shame on you. Really, what these tweets should have said is, if you're disappointed, explain why, particularly if you're trained legally, Please explain why you're disappointed and please admonish your constituents and your people to stay peaceful. In fact, Chesa Boudin, who's the DA of San Francisco, who I feel like is probably no better than Mike Schmidt, actually tweeted, I'm outraged by the looting in, this was November 20th, I'm outraged by the looting in Union Square last night. We are seeing similar crimes across the country. I have a simple message. Don't bring that noise to our city. Great work by SFPD. Stand by for felony charges. You know what, Ted Wheeler, Mike Schmidt, take a note. Take a note. Oregon representatives, take a note. That, Kate Brown, that should have been the message from you all. In fact, our own president, Joe Biden, during the heat of the White House race, September 30th, 2020. No, he wasn't president yet, but he is president now. And he's he's somebody that I at least previously trusted to engage in common sense and not be a lunatic, uh, unlike Donald Trump. And I know there are a lot of you out there that enjoy Donald Trump, and I'm, I understand why you do. But to me, um, Donald Trump is, I generally don't put him, think of him as the dictionary definition of rationality. I used to think that way of Joe Biden. However, September 30th, 2020, Joe Biden tweeted, there's no other way to put it. The president of the United States refused to disavow white supremacists on the debate stage last night. And President Biden, our now president, in this video, and you can just find it on his Twitter feed, he spliced up images of Rittenhouse with torch-bearing white supremacists in Charlottesville. Um, so it can be argued that Biden was calling or at least implying that Rittenhouse was a white supremacist. And at the time, he was hardly alone in doing so. Almost every mainstream journalist did that from the moment the Rittenhouse case occurred and these people were killed. And in fact, the judge had to admonish the jury to disregard comments from the president of the United States. Now, they were also told to disregard comments that former President Trump had made, but I expect differently of Joe Biden. That's why I voted for him. Um, and even though he tweeted out some words of common sense after the verdict, saying the jury has spoken and we should respect that. But he also said, the verdict in Kenosha will leave many Americans feeling angry and concerned, myself included. I mean, Biden is also a lawyer. 
or at least was. This is outrageous. And he, and just like all the others, he's not explaining what's so confounding to him about the verdict. Honestly, anybody who followed that trial or who has taken a look at the the truthful breakdowns of that trial, like the ones that are were provided by Barry Weiss in her podcast with Jesse Single, or just even general general news media. I mean, at this point, most of them are admitting what the surviving witness said, which was that he pointed his gun at Rittenhouse and that Rittenhouse did not fire his gun until a gun was pointed at him. I'm just confounded by what people see to be problematic about the verdict and what legal errors people believe were committed. Um, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald had a great tweet on November 22nd, 2021. He says, Kyle Rittenhouse, now free of all criminal liability, did his first interview. And he said he believes systemic racism is a problem in the U.S. and supports BLM. If you think this will cause anyone to reevaluate their decree that he's a white supremacist, you would be incorrect. And sadly, I think... Greenwald is exactly right. He also tweeted, same day, there are very few accusations you can make about someone more serious than publicly branding them as white supremacist or white nationalist. But in liberal discourse, especially media discourse, there is literally no evidentiary requirement that must be met in order to do it. And the idea that the President of the United States before a trial had even occurred, a a trained person who practiced law Um, Anybody who's a trial lawyer or who knows a trial lawyer knows that you don't want, as much as your jury is going to be polluted by the news media, you want to try to control that and you want your jury, whether you're the prosecution or the defense, you want them and the public in general to shut up until the trial starts and the evidence comes out so that your jury is not polluted and to have the president of the United States um, making those kind of bald statements. I know he wasn't president at the time, but the soon-to-be president of the United States making those kind of statements and showing Kyle Rittenhouse spliced up with Charlottesville white supremacists is a real failure of leadership and character, and it's profoundly disappointing, particularly given his background. And particularly given that he sold us as a reasonable, uniting candidate. That is the reason I voted for him. Uh, it's absolutely profoundly disappointing. So let's turn away from Rittenhouse for a minute. Um, I received some comments about the last podcast, specifically about, you know, sort of what's the big deal if if the Biden administration is calling mothers birthing persons because we already know that if you give birth you have a vagina and I guess I would say that sort of proves my point we already know that if you've physically given birth that you have a vagina so why do we need to change the word mother which denotes somebody who has a vagina not necessarily who's given birth because there are adoptive adopted mothers but Currently, the word mother denotes female, 
And if you're talking like the Biden administration was in regard to maternal, as that was their words, not my my words, maternal mortality. They couldn't even be be consistent. They used a gender specific word, maternal, but would not use the word mother. And instead, changed the word mother with birthing person. In that context, when you're talking about somebody who's giving birth, and I'm only talking in that context because, of course, trans people who were cis women who've transitioned into men can father their children and would like to be called fathers, and I would absolutely respect that. But again, in that context where we're talking about people giving birth, I don't understand the outrage over the word mother. Um, So I, I have a friend, a very good friend, who's a lesbian and she's not trans, but we have many trans friends in common. And she was adamant that like, look, they feel, trans people feel really left out. They feel, they, I, I think there are, I don't know of any, but I think that there, if there were trans men who were giving birth, they would not like the term mother. They don't consider themselves mothers. And I've thought about that. And I think what drives me insane about the Biden administration changing the word mother to the word birth, the words birthing people is that it's virtue signaling. It's a wave at the trans community without actually doing anything to help the trans community. And I think that's why I find it so grating, not because people who identify as men want to be considered fathers. I respect their right to want that and I understand why they would want that and I don't I don't want to hurt anybody. I certainly don't want to hurt anybody in the trans community, many of whom I love and respect. But I think about for instance I'm a cis woman, I think about women. There are a lot of things that we're talking about language here. We're not talking about a law that hurts trans people. We're not talking about physical violence against trans people. We're not talking about violent language against trans people. We're just talking about the word mother in the context of a government document that discusses maternal mortality. And there are a lot of things, a a lot of language, a lot of words that still exclude women. The Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, hundreds if not thousands of laws in any state, the word ombudsman, the word freshman. I mean, no girl believes that they can't go to high school or college because only boys are freshmen. Uh, How about the word manhole, airman, fisherman, seaman, chairman, founding fathers. Most women are not screaming about this, nor myself included, nor should I be. I'm not hurt when somebody uses the word marksman. I'm not hurt when people read out loud from the Declaration of Independence or, or quote, all men are created equal. I don't lose my shit. Um, at, at, at church, when they sing Father Abraham had many sons, I don't go crazy and try to change it to kids or children or, or whatever. And in fact, none of that language, gender exclusive as it is, prevented women from getting into the workplace, getting into medical school, getting into grad school generally, becoming billionaires, millionaires. Um, that kind of language, gendered language, did not prevent Oprah from being Oprah. And to the extent there hasn't yet been a female president, that's not because of gender-exclusive language. And to argue that it is, is silly. 
And for me to claim things like, well, this th that gender exclusive language is hurtful sounds to my ears stupid. If I heard a woman saying that that was hurtful, I my gut reaction to that, and I may or may not vocalize this depending on how close I am to the person, is that's idiotic. And I'm not saying that trans people or trans people who don't like the word mother or idiotic, I'm saying I find gender exclusive language to be a nothing burger. And it doesn't erase me. I don't think that it means that the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence doesn't apply to me. I don't want to rewrite it. I'm not lobbying to rewrite it. It didn't stop female activists and suffragists from, suffragists from getting the right to vote. It didn't stop women from uh, like Catherine McKinnon and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and frankly Kimberly Crenshaw from making super good arguments and advancing the case on behalf of women in the workplace. It, gender exclusive language is just not a thing. And it shouldn't be, language um, shouldn't be something the president is concerned with. And not one who wants to be reelected anyway. Using words like menstruating person and birthing person to replace words like um, women and mother in medical contexts like giving birth and um, issues with menstruation, that's not a winning strategy. Women make up 50% of the population, 50%. And we're not demanding that all laws be redrafted, not that I know of. Uh, if there is a movement to do this, I, it's not mainstream, to include gender neutral language because it's keeping us from getting ahead. Um, I would say if there are women crying about that, get a helmet and go to work and shut the fuck up. You're making things worse for yourself. Go run for president, go to med school, change it in a substantive way that helps you and society. Now that's real progress. This is, Practically speaking, meaningless virtue signaling that doesn't move the needle. You want to help trans people, Joe Biden? Do it in a substantive way that is meaningful. Hire a trans person and put them high up in your cabinet. Replace Jan Psaki with a trans person and promote that person. Um, you know, all things being equal, if you've got a candidate for a position, um, two people that are equally qualified and one of them's trans, hire the trans person and promote them. This is... It's transparent virtual signaling, which is why it was grammatically inconsistent. That's why they were using words like maternal and changing words like mother. I mean, why, if you're going to change the word mother to birthing person, why do you keep using the word maternal over and over again? Well, because you're giving a wave to, the, to your woke, ridiculous, nut job faction of your party that as you are going to learn, I am, you guys got a spanking, okay, in these last round of elections. You are going to learn in these midterms that ain't popular rhetoric. You're going to have to change, change what you're doing, not because we don't like trans people and not because we don't want to include them, but because it is so transparent, transparently virtue signaling. It was a wave to the wokes. Waving to the wokes is not progress. And we don't, we don't want to hear it because it doesn't move the needle and it's grading. It's frankly grading. You know what you should do, Joe Biden? You should give trans kids a day where they can come to the White House and do a photo op and get a tour and meet any trans staff, et cetera. I mean, also mind boggling, like there's no data of how many trans people even want to change the word mother to birthing person. What, are we doing this for like 10 people? I'm willing to bet that non-trans people, people who are not trans, I'm willing to bet that they came up with that idea 
Um, and they came up with the idea of getting rid of the term birthing person and that that's who drafted the language. It's like the white guy who coined the term for Native American and non-binary people is two-spirit. Yeah, that was a white man that coined that term. It's like renaming all the schools while they're all closed. Um, substantially, they're hurting poor BIPOC people the most with these school closures. But in the meantime, we're going to rename it Rosa Parks and make everything better for your lives and call that racial equity in progress. You know, catering to microaggressions like this, that's just going to further alienate swing voters. And I want to go on record as saying, I look, I'm happy to call any trans man who identifies as a man and has a baby, dad, he, him, I'm a reasonable person. I'm going to, absolutely, I'm going to respect that. I know trans people. I love and respect and, in fact, work with trans people. And it's it never occurred to me that it would be a thing to be um, upset or outraged about. Um, and I knew a number of them. I witnessed transition. They approached me or sent out an email and said, this is my name. Um, this is my new identity. I now go as this. And it wasn't a thing. And I went, okay. And that was that. And we all um, moved on with our lives. And I love and respect them for who they are. And I don't want to prevent them from thriving and being everything that they're meant to be. And everything that God put them here on this world to be. The last thing I want to do is impede or inhibit that. But this idea that we're going to um, screw around with this government document discussing maternal mortality and start calling mothers birthing persons, and that's going to help trans people is idiocy, it's moronic, and uh, it, you know it's part of the reason that I consider myself um, completely alienated from the Democratic Party in general having a fair amount of voters remorse for voting for Joe Biden, although if I had to do it again, I would because I will never and I'm not going to ever vote for Donald Trump. Um, but he's not the he's really not turning out to be the president that I thought he was going to be. Um, and that's just a tiny example of that. So good for all of you to join us. Thank you so much. If you want to get in touch, please DM us on Twitter. You can find us at Wallamom's Pod. If you like what you hear and you want to support us, leave us a good review on iTunes. It really does help. And tell a friend. Share the podcast with a friend. Copy the link. Send it to a friend. Send it to people you know on social media. And I'll see you all next time. Love you.